You just haven't acquired a taste for his pitching yet. Nor will I ever. I don't this, is a, this is a Mark Brown problem, not a Kevin Gray problem. Oh, boy, Andrew. It's like I had a professor who would always say, if an art critic wants to say something bad about the Mona Lisa, it says more about the critic than it says about the Mona Lisa. And I guess that's me with Kevin Gregg. Wait, in this scenario, with the Mona Lisa, or are you the art critic, or are you the professor? I am Kevin Gregg. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's August the 26th, 2012, in the evening as we are recording this episode. The Orioles have been rained out from the third game as they were going for the sweep of the Toronto Blue Jays. But the good news is, my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, survived his weekend in the haunted hotel. It was horrible. I was worried about you for a little bit there. Well, you know, I was there for a family reunion. And the the bad thing about family reunions is as soon as you get there, you start thinking about how you're leaving. Like you spend the whole weekend in the process of leaving. Well, Andrew, the bad part about family reunions for me is they're all in southeast Ohio. So well, leaving is kind of the benefit. At least they weren't in what almost had to be a haunted hotel. Well, you lived, so that's that's the important thing. And you, that means you can tell us about your other uh, interesting experience from the last week, because Andrew had a picture posted of himself and a coworker, I guess, from behind the desk of the Baseball Tonight site in Bristol, Connecticut. That is that is my boss, and uh, we were we were up there on Wednesday um, for just a like a powwow with some of the the top brass. No big deal. Um, and then afterwards, Mark Simon, who is one of the, the co-hosts of the Baseball Today podcast, gave us a quick tour. Um, it was actually his day off. so wow, that was, was pretty nice of him then, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we walked down to the Baseball Tonight set, and nobody was there, so we took a picture at the desk. Well, It's actually a really tiny set, and behind all of the walls, there are just people working at computers. Huh researchers and, and things How about that but uh i was told that i look very good behind that desk well so there you go there, there's something there for you, you to aspire to maybe huh yeah maybe i don't think that's in my cards either but uh it would be neat just to be there on the set so that's one you have over me yeah there the espn campus is huge man it's just huge like people will talk about how little they like espn and i get it but like ESPN is like four billion people. Like, there's no one person. Right, it's a giant. This thing to be like biased against your team or, or with an opinion that you consider stupid or whatever. Like there's there's just so many people working. It's kind of amazing. I think, for instance, the broadcast arm is often disappointing these days, uh, both on say the baseball and football fronts. With the whole, well, I won't even get into football on here, but they have, there's still a lot of very interesting writers and, you know, commentators within the ESPN umbrella. Right. So. Absolutely. I, I just, I sort of, uh, I don't take offense to it because I totally get it, but I just wish uh, more often people would recognize that a big corporation or even like a front office is way more than just one guy. Yeah. Like, can't just talk about Andy McPhail did this or Andy McPhail did that because there's so many people working. The, the, team, the team of people that Andy McPhail led 
ultimately decided to do whatever. Or Dan Duquette. Or Dan Duquette, for sure. But that was cool. If uh, anybody ever is bored, wants to like sign up for a tour of ESPN, it's very nice. It's very cool. And uh, you should do it. Maybe you will find yourself on a This Is Sports Center commercial somehow. You never know. I guess. You never know. Yeah. There's just mascots walking all over the place. Is there is, is there really, or are you being silly now? Uh, there might be. Yeah, you can dream. In, in all of our dreams, maybe the mascots are still just rolling through the hallways. But Andrew, the, re- the real exciting thing of this week is playoff fever is sweeping over Baltimore because people I'm who... I'm getting an outbreak of playoff fever. Yeah, peop- and the only cure is... Uh, I don't know. But, but anyway... People who are season ticket holders, and some of you maybe got your packages in the mail listing the pricing for playoff tickets for hypothetical playoff uh, playoff encounters that the world can already make tell that, that you are, are disappointed in the pricing of playoff encounters. Well, Andrew, standing room for the World Series is like $70. Yeah, but it's the World Series. It is the World Series, and I'm sure I would find a way to go. Like, if it's $70 for standing room in the World Series, I'm going. Right, and I will elbow everybody out of the way so I can stand in the front of the flag court. No, it doesn't. I'll just stand on Utah Street. Can't even see the stadium. I'm just there. Yeah, soaking, in, soaking in the atmosphere. But, you know, the Orioles have to get that far anyway. But So season ticket holders get the first crack at those. And I think it was whatever they don't sell from them. September the 15th will go on sale to the general public, and then people can snap those up. And uh, Well, that'll be pretty exciting if the Orioles are still in the race at that point, too. And at this point, why the heck not? Because they made it this far. So, like, I I had an interesting experience today, Andrew, because it was just kind of brought home to me just how much it is sweeping over the general public. Because I was at a I was at a birthday party for my little cousin who turned two on Friday. Uh, which, by the way, I don't recommend going to the birthday parties for two-year-olds because it's just uh, not very pleasant. I have been at a birthday party for a one-year-old, and it's mostly just a normal party with drinking and things. Right. And then there's like a semi-conscious baby there. Well, it was like uh, it was like my my little cousin and like four of his little daycare friends, and then like the parents of the daycare friends, and like. I was wearing my uh, my Wei Yin Chen Mandarin Chinese T-shirt from the giveaway because I thought the Orioles might actually play today, so I figured I'd support the Orioles. Of course, they were rained out, and just people that I had never met before, never seen before in my life, like the dads of the the, the daycare friends, were just coming over and talking Orioles with me. And I, Andrew, I don't think in my adult life I have just talked Orioles like you know people that just knew not just you know, in depth, like they were, they knew what happened with Joe Saunders this morning, and you know, people were just excited to talk Orioles, and it was really uh, just interesting to me, just to just to be a part of that because uh, doesn't usually happen. A couple of years ago, I lived in Virginia, and I would go out to the the Wegmans in Fairfax. That is where I did my grocery shopping, and I would often run into people who would comment on my Orioles paraphernalia. But it would always be in sort of a way where it's like, I don't want to talk to you. They'll be saying things like, oh, hey, the Orioles, I used to love them. 
I hope they come back soon. I was like, yeah, thumbs up, dude. Kind of desultory commentary. Please just bring me up. Yeah. And let me go. Um, because that's, uh, you know, they were terrible. Like, that's, I don't, I don't really want to talk about a bad baseball team that I have, like, an unhealthy fascination with. Yeah. With strangers. Yeah, nobody does. Um, I also uh, had interactions this weekend at, at this horrible shining like hotel um with with strangers who would comment like oh you like the orioles they're having a really good year this year and i even saw some other guys who like the orioles so there was like a little bit and it was a lot more comfortable where it's like yeah go O's. and then you just you keep on going with your day and that was really cool I don't know if I'd call it like playoff fever, but I felt a lot better about my interactions, even if it was still me wanting to, to keep going with my day. Yeah, I mean, I'm just used to, you know, if, if the Orioles are brought up, it's everybody's pitying that we are, we are talking about them, and there was legitimate excitement, and that was pretty neat. Uh, there was one Mets fan who was jealous of, of me. This is that this is where not, we've reached. We've got uh, we've got New York fans jealous of, of that this. is not something I'm ready for. No, I I don't think I am ready for that either. So, who who the heck knows? So the, the big news from today was the acquisition of Joe Saunders, who I kind of assumed if the Orioles traded for him, it would be, you know, kind of a nobody going to Arizona like Blake Davis or maybe Ryan Adams, just kind of a are those two separate people? Right, that's the thing. Like, just the generic middle infield non-prospect. Because who cares about a generic middle infield non-prospect? And who cares about six weeks of Joe Saunders? But turns out the Orioles traded Matt Lindstrom, and there will be also a player to be named later, named after the season, who is not going to be an impact name, but could be. Do you think it, it was, I heard that, like Dan Connolly from the Sun, I think, put that out there or maybe it was rock Kabako from our rival blog mansonsports.com yeah our rival just in the way that the orioles and yankees are rivals and we're the uh, the orioles and yankees actually are rivals yeah maybe you didn't notice except that. we don't we don't have a grudge that only we hold from like 14 years ago with masson i can't speak for you in, in that, and I would ask that you don't speak for me. Well, Andrew, maybe you hated the concept of regional sports networks in Baltimore before they these things even coalesced into Look, existence. All I'm saying is every sports fan, regardless of what region they're in, should get their sports just from ESPN. And me. And basically. you. Yeah, sure. And me. Anyway, I am, I'm not being serious. No, of course not. But Joe Saunders... I didn't. Oh, I wasn't right. dying to get Joe Saunders because he just seems like a pitcher who maybe won't do well in Baltimore, in Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But mm, he's no, here. I, I, don't, I don't see that ending well. No. So, because basically Dan Duquette has now is now stocking a rotation full of like flyball pitchers. Not entirely, but Saunders just looked like he more profiled as a flyball pitcher. Not a not a huge amount of strikeouts, and uh, now he's going to be facing. Well, he's kind of like a, like a rich man's Tommy Hunter. Yes, and so so if you think to yourself, well, maybe he'll be better than Tommy Hunter, that's fine. But Tommy Hunter has already been banished to the Bowie Bay Sox for a little while. He'll probably come back and pitch out of the bullpen. 
Um, so really, Joe Saunders would need to be better than like Zach Britton, and he might not be better than Zach Britton. So it's it's really uh, who knows? Anything could happen. I mean, Joe Saunders could uh, could pitch on Wednesday against the White Sox and throw a no hitter. Or he could uh, give up three home runs and give up like six earned runs in four innings. What's interesting is it doesn't change the bar for me at all, even a little bit. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even vibrate the bar. Yeah. Like the Orioles are winning, um, and they're winning without like a lot of the usual pieces that you see winners have, like high quality starting pitching. They have Wei Yin Chen, who's been good but not great. We've talked about him before. And then they have like a bunch of spare parts that like every night they go out, it's like, well, this is the night that Miguel Gonzalez gets lit up because he's not a major leaker. But then he's Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah, he he is okay. You know, he's not great, but he's okay. Or like Zach Britton's like Zach Britton's been getting lit up and then he throws back to back pretty good starts. Um, Joe Saunders fits in perfectly with that group. Where every night he goes out there and pitches, I'm going to be like, well, he's going to get laid off tonight. And then sometimes he doesn't. So, you know, that's he's he's just one more. One more for the pile of why the heck not that Dan Duquette has, has assembled for the Orioles this year, I guess. So I, I don't I don't really mind giving up Matt Lindstrom in the trade. Uh, no. I was surprised that they did because really he was the most expendable of the bullpen arms well, I mean, maybe like Luis Ayala. The most more. expendable of the arms that may have actually been in demand by a rational acting front office, perhaps. I should, I should clarify. The the only weird thing to me, uh, the Orioles they got some cash back, and they traded a kind of a big contract themselves. So I don't know if they they came out even. Yeah, or even. when they say cash considerations, no one ever says what cash. Yeah. is being discussed. Um, but Joe Saunders cleared trade waivers earlier this month, which you have to do to be traded. Right. The Orioles claim him, which seems really odd to me because they have been linked to Joe Saunders for literally 500 years. All, all, all of 2012, basically. Um, and it's like, well, he's, he's making about $1.5 million the rest of the year. I know that is not nothing, believe you me. And at this point in the season, teams trying to find budget room, that's a, a serious trick that they have to pull to acquire anybody. But it still seemed weird to me that they didn't even claim him off waivers. And I assume because they were scared of just having that salary dumped on them. Yeah. In whole. yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, wouldn't they be much better off? They're in a playoff race with this picture that they obviously covet, and also Matt Lindstrom, and also this low-level low level minor leaguer that, you know, you don't want to just give up on those guys. No. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see who that name ends up being, but we won't know for a few months, so. Uh, there's been an awful lot made out in various Baltimore sports media outlets about... Uh, how much money the Orioles are willing to spend or they have to spend or that Peter Angelos is willing to spend on the Orioles. But it seems like they lost Matt Lindstrom because they were scared of picking up an extra million bucks. And that's a little bothersome to me. Not in and of itself because 
Matt Lindstrom is an expendable piece. That's exactly the type of guy you should be trading. Just, you know, they traded him instead of picking up some money. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, well, obviously we weren't a fly in the wall on the wall of those discussions, so it's sure. hard to say if the Orioles not wanting to pick up the full money led to Matt Lindster being traded there. Maybe Arizona was like, "Look, you got to give us one of your relievers, or we're not making a deal here." And then maybe then Dan Duquette suggested Matt Lindstrom. Of course, uh, Arizona, their bullpen now is just full of... Ex-Orioles, basically, because what, uh, David Hernandez is out there, uh, Brad Bergeson? Yeah, I don't know if there was, like, some, like, cross-checkers that went from Baltimore to Arizona or some other front office guys or anything, but this is, like, the type of thing you see when... Like the Phillies hired Joe Jordan, or, and then they make a couple trades. Or, to get for instance, when the Orioles hired Andy McPhail. And he got a bunch of Cubs guys. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's exact. That's that's even a better example. Matt Albers is out there also, apparently. So. Yeah, it's a little odd. That's a lot of a lot of ex-Orioles there. And anyway, the end, the end result of this is Joe Saunders uh, is going to make a few starts for the Orioles. Or maybe he will only make like two, because... He could get kicked into the bullpen when Jason Hamill comes back from the DL, and who knows? Now, the uh, the one, I guess, saving grace for Joe Saunders, um, he's going to go up against the White Sox this week. Uh, and then he has a really good chance of going up against the Yankees over the weekend, and he does really well against left-handers, and the Yankees sure do have a lot of good left-handers. Yes, Saunders is left-handed and has a pulse, so that's a benefit for taking on tough lefty stacked teams and uh that's uh that could be good for him and hopefully hopefully it will it will prove to be so we'll find out i guess uh, as they as they approach the yankees so the joe saunders era welcome to it and baltimore will keep on rolling hopefully towards the playoffs we're going to pause briefly for a little podcast identification we'll be right back on camden cast You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at GibsonAndrew, and I am at EatMoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And now, back to the show. And just like that, we're back. And Andrew... Do you know what time it is? Um, it is 10.35 in the p.m. That is not the correct answer, because it is actually time for... You've got mail. Our latest installment of dipping in to the Camden Cast comment box. And if you would like to leave us a comment for next week... You can look forward on Thursday or Friday on CamdenChat.com for the comment box thread, and you can ask us a question, which if we like, we will read it and give you credit and read it on air. And to be very honest with you, Andrew and I were a little disappointed with the selection of questions this week. We really don't want to talk about 2013 or the offseason as long as the Orioles are in the playoff race. I didn't realize all of you people had already given up on 2012. Yeah, it's it, there's a, there's a lot of people asking us like 
what is the sustainability of this and that and the other? And it's like, dudes, the Orioles, well, they were off today. So they, uh, well, no, they're still tied with Oakland, right? Because Oakland was also off today. The Orioles are tied for a wild card spot. It's August the 26th, the 27th, whatever day. And, you know, let's talk about that. Ask us stuff about that. We don't care about the offseason right now. This this is not the last 14 years where the Orioles are terrible, and we have to look to the offseason. We don't have to look to the offseason, and we're not going to. So ask us some stuff about this year, you know. Ask us about some prospects. Ask us about other teams. Whatever. Just no more next year. Seriously. Don't worry about that till October when the season's over. But the question we did like for this week uh, came from Camden Chat user Hookstrapped who wanted to know when Jason Hamill will be returning. And that's a fairly simple answer, Andrew, as it turns out, because uh, today it was reported he will be back in time for starting on September the 6th, which is also known as the Cal Ripken Jr. Statue Night, which should be exciting, because, of course, that's the uh, the 17th anniversary of the 21-31 game there, I guess. Man, Really? Really? Man. The first game of a four-game series against the Yankees, and the Orioles will actually have played another series against the Yankees before that, I think. They, they're playing the Yankees this upcoming weekend. Yeah, they're, so they're, they're going to be playing the Yankees, what, the 31st through the 2nd of September? Yes. And then, uh, then they'll be playing them again the 6th through the 9th of September. And that is it. That's it for the Yankees and the Orioles this year. So Jason Hamill will be back on the 6th, and it's looking like... The Orioles will maybe go with a six-man rotation in September because uh, we were actually very wrong last week when we said, well, maybe the Orioles aren't worried about Wei Yin Chen going and getting a little fatigue uh, because, of course, they skipped a start for him this weekend so they could kind of push him back a couple days and not press him as hard. So, you know, that shows what Andrew and I know. And then there was also, just within the last couple days, a rumor posted by Raku Atko, our, our rival on the MassInSports.com, uh, that Dylan Bundy could be getting called up on the 31st of August, or perhaps the 1st of September, and do a little bullpen before making a start. And I have the feeling, Andrew, when Raku Batko yeah. was posting rumors about Dylan Bundy, that probably means somebody told him to post about Dylan Bundy. Can, can we just... Like, stop for a second and, and ponder the absurdity of Dylan Bundy's season. Yes. Not from a statistical point of view, because that is a whole other bucket of whatever. Yes. yes, we can. But he started in Delmarva, uh, and he is 19 years old. Um, and people complained because he was way too good for Delmarva. And the Orioles were like screwing with his innings and screwing with what pitches right. he was allowed. Oh, was his first like five starts, they only let him throw three innings or something like that. Right. So like they're being super conservative, and we we get it, right? We we understand, even if maybe that's not a very scientific way of doing things. But this is not necessarily a very scientific process protecting pitchers. Right. Um. And then they, like, eventually drag him up to Frederick, and he is still only allowed to throw, like, five right, innings. Does some five-inning starts. I think was in the uh, the high A All-Star game. What is Frederick? The Carolina League? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then they, they push him to 
double A, where uh, some major uh, media scout types thought he should have just started right. because that's probably closer to his actual talent. Many level. people who would know these things, and Andrew and right. I are not in that number, but people we read right. are like pretty much Keith Law and Kevin Goldstein. I think both probably sure. would have said start Bundy in double A. Um. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, well, he's good. Just throw him right to the Yankees. Let's do this. Uh, and he's going to make starts at the major league level and still not be allowed to throw the cutter because no pitcher ever who's had ever been successful throws a cutter or something. Apparently, in Dan Duquette's world. Um, so did something change there? Or, like, am I missing something? Like, it seems like you were being so conservative, and I understand that. And then you decided to just, screw it, let's just do this. Well, I mean, Andrew, I guess you could consider the possibility that even in April and May, the Orioles were not expecting to be in the race in August and September. And to be fair, nobody except for Dan O'Hare on Camden Chat expected the Orioles to be in the race in August and September. So I don't know how much that would change there. Well, we just need to get the best players. And is Dylan Bundy better than at least one pitcher on the Orioles roster right now? I would say there is no doubt about it. And I mean, no doubt. So in that sense, and he's on the 40 man roster. So, you know, if he comes up in September and does some stuff, I mean, you know, he's going to be taking innings from somebody who's inferior to him. I think that's a, f- a safe thing to say. Although what he ends up doing, I don't know, because we have not like, seen that rumor updated now that they're saying, well, Jason Hamill will start on that September, September yeah. 6th. Because initially the rumor said Dylan Bundy would, uh, would would make the start on that September the 6th. Cal Ripken, statue night, in front of all the Hall of Famers, yeah, against the Yankees. Playoff implications. Well, wow, that's such a terrible time to start. I know, like, Jake Arrieta's first game was in New York. Is that right? It was definitely against the Yankees. But, like, that's such a, a bad way to be like, well, we're being careful with this guy. Oh, here's the Yankees. Right. Then suddenly you're like, we have such absolute confidence in Dylan Bundy. We're sending him up against one of the best offenses in all of baseball. Right. You know, in a in a in a in a batter friendly park, in an atmosphere where there might be a lot of Yankee fans invading Camden Yards. Although, I don't. I that don't would know. be so sad. I don't know because it might be. cheese me off. It might be man. if people knew that was going to be Dylan Bundy's first start on top of the Cal Ripken statue. Well, they'll type. probably announce it that morning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's uh. They didn't. They didn't maximize the the potential of. Manny Machado debut, that's for sure. So, so I really don't know what's ha- what's become of that with the uh, Jason Hamill thing changing. But I mean, uh, here, here's another question: um, Do do the Orioles need Dylan Bundy in the bullpen? Because uh, when you try and look at how the Orioles have gotten to 69 wins um, here on the 26th of August or whatever day it happens to be. Um, a lot of it, you you say, well, the bullpen's been really good. Pedro Strope and Jim Johnson and Darren O'Day and Luis Ayala in particular, and Troy Patton, have all been really good. Um, the Orioles just dropped 
another relief pitcher with a really good ERA because they were like, well, we got too many we guys. Don't we don't need them all. Right. Um, and now they have Brian the, Mattis up to be their, their, uh, their Lugie. And Jake is up. Although he's going to get sent back down tomorrow, probably. Well, like, do they need Dylan Bundy to come up and be like the sixth inning guy? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, if he's coming up and taking innings away from Kevin Gregg. That's great. Get, That's great. But Kevin Gregg has been the fourth inning guy for when the pitcher craps out. Yeah. And it seems like that is not maybe the most appropriate role for your big phenom pitcher. But, like, they're not going to take innings away from Pedro Strobe or Jim Johnson and give them to Dylan Bundy, are they? No, so, so maybe they'll throw him into the six-man rotation business, and then it'll be a guy like... I don't know, Zach Britton or Miguel Gonzalez, or both will end up in the bullpen. And, man, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I assume they know what they're doing. They've gotten the Orioles as far as they have with some kind of plan. Black magic. I mean, Andrew, we could talk the rest of the week and probably not fully diagnose how the Orioles have ended up where they are right now. But we're just enjoying it uh, enjoying it while it lasts. I'm like, I guess... Um... There's some other talk about like trying to protect the number of innings Miguel Gonzalez is throwing. So maybe if they give some of those innings to to Dylan Bundy, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, be- it could it could be. So I mean, I don't know, I don't know. We may see Dylan Bundy, or maybe we won't, and they'll they'll just change their minds. And as a relief pitcher, I don't, I like that's nice. It's really cool to have another weapon, but. You still need starting pitching more than really pitching. Yeah. And it, it is an open question whether Bundy is for sure better than all of those guys. Probably he's better than at least one. I, I would think so. But he's, he's probably better than almost all of those Without guys. his best pitch, that's like, well, that's another can of worms. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually going to move on to another little thing that will end up impacting the Orioles' uh, rest of the season, if only in the sense that one team they will be playing several times is now going to be of a significantly lower caliber than it looked like. They have been uh, neutered, maybe? So the, yeah, you, I, I have no doubt everyone listening to this podcast has already heard of the trade, so I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence here and act like I'm informing anyone of anything. But just as a reminder, the, the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers consummated a trade that involved basically every bad contract and one good-ish contract that Boston had. Well, I don't sent. know if the was a good contract. Yeah. Well, Adrian I, I Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, and Nick Pono, just for the laughs, I guess, got, uh, got sent to the Dodgers, along with a, a relatively small amount of money. I want to say it was about $12 million. That is what I heard. Um, so basically the Los Angeles Dodgers, no longer under the tyranny of the McCourts, now with Magic Johnson and whoever else owns them, and their their uh, their fair market value TV contract, now that McCourt is not just looking to cash out for cash up front to pay off his credit card bills, he racked up uh, paying for the Russian healer to pray for the team or whatever. <laughs> That's not even. That wasn't exact. a joke. No, that was serious. That there, that he happened. paid like half a million dollars a year for some uh, Russian 
spiritual guy to just be like sending good vibes for the yeah. uh, the, the Dodgers. That is that is one hundred percent. That happened, and and the Dodgers took on all those contracts and sent four five players. To the, uh... they, they sent James Loney, who is pretty bad, and four prospects. One of whom and is, is a legitimate Boston. one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice package for Boston. And the others are more in this, probably in the second or third tier. Like if the Orioles were trading guys like I don't know, Glenn Davis, or for instance, Gabrielino to the Phillies for Jim Tomei. What if Glenn Davis is the guy? Yeah, if what if Glenn Davis is the player to be named later? I I would uh, I would not like. Personally, my money is on Sebastian Bader. I'm just throwing that out there. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Okay, I couldn't resist Uh, that one. No, but seriously, that trade, Boston cleared so much payroll and they get prospects back. That's nuts. But they're seriously depleted for this year. Um, real quick before we get into this, do you think Nick Ponto's uh? inclusion in that trade was boston's idea or la's idea oh i would guess la decided they need a little middle infield upgrade and because uh, i like it from both points i mean i don't know i don't know who i don't pay enough attention well, to, NL to know who was it's like you can have all these guys that's cool you have to take ponto also i am not paying that guy one more cent and nick ponto or, it's yeah. worth noting had a two-year three million dollar contract so that's that's pennies compared to all the other stuff they uh, they acquired. Okay. Um, in, in serious, uh, let, let's take off our our Oriole hats okay. here and and uh, put on just our our general baseball thinker pants, I guess. Okay. Um, now we took off do, hats to put on pants. This is a little unequal here. Uh, right. This is like this is like comparing batting average to on base percentage when they have different denominators uh yeah so do you like this trade for la and do you like it for boston and and you can totally like it for both teams andrew it just seems a little crazy to me to be counting on both crawford and beckett to bounce back you i feel like the dodgers would have to really feel confident in change of scenery helping beckett and also crawford well, it should be noted Crawford is currently on the disabled right, list. Right, he's got to get Tommy John I mean, surgery. Like he had it. He had it's it. Yeah. He's in recovery. So, but of course, position players recover from that faster, mostly. Uh, well, I'm not. My I'm understanding. One other position player who had Tommy John surgery, and that is Xavier Navy, and I believe he had it twice. Oof. Um, and he, I mean. He was on the Yankees when he had it, and like he has not been a good player since then. But who knows? Um, so Beckett Beck so, clearly needed to get out of Boston. So maybe you yeah, think, I, I think you know that. that's a change of scenery. Because I mean, I I don't know if you the listeners saw there was a picture posted of uh, from Twitter with Nick Punto and. Josh Beckett and Adrian Gonzalez on the plane that the Los Angeles Dodgers had chartered to fly those guys out to Los Angeles to join the team. Mm-hmm. All of them looked extremely happy to be out of. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, I would be. I think everybody wants out of Boston at this point. I think yeah. Bobby Valentine wants out of Boston. It's like he's 
He's in the middle of some kind of performance art masterpiece of just a cry for help to try to get fired. And Ben Sherrington is just not giving him that release from his suffering. I actually, I really liked uh, Ben Sherrington's press conference. Uh, I just saw the quotes from it. Um, because I was in a haunted hotel that didn't allow me to watch the whole thing. Um, uh, he said something to the effect of, we made this trade because we didn't like who we were and we needed more than a superficial change. Right. I mean, that's they swept the deck. That's like carte blanche. And that's really cool. Like, you did need a change. Yeah. And you recognize that and you're like, everybody, leave. You're all fired. Right, I not, I read a, I read a joke, Andrew. I cannot attribute it to a specific person because I don't remember. But uh, there was somebody, some some jokester, who said that usually you have to fire the manager instead of the players because you can't fire twenty five players. But Ben Sherrington is doing his best to fire twenty five players. Yeah, I mean, it it started with the Euclid trade where they traded Euclid for pennies on the dollar. And then they got rid of all of their big contracts except for John Lackey um, just to get rid of them, basically, to, to start over. And it's not like there's anything worth really getting into in the, the 2013 offseason for them. I mean, although wouldn't that be hilarious, Andrew, if they took all that money and then spent it on like Zach Greinke and Josh Hamilton? Boy, I'm not sure I can think of two worst players for Boston. I mean, that would just be like a supernova exploding on um, the premises. But, uh, the, so there's two points to this Boston thing, because obviously what the Dodgers do is not really that impactful. Right, the Orioles are not likely to see the Dodgers. Uh, Until the end of October, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, so rematch the rematch Orioles, of the, yeah. uh, the 66 World Series, I guess. Um, the, the Orioles have six more games with the Red Sox, three at home, three in Boston. And that's in the second half of September. And it is likely that you will not recognize the Red Sox at that point, unless you are really familiar with, uh, uh, Cheshwan Lin. Like they had their first baseman since that trade has been Mauro Gomez. Yeah. James Loney. Is now their their first baseman, and he he's not very good. Uh, how do you feel about Jose Iglesias? Right, I mean Scott Podsednik is still out there in the outfield. You got uh, so I mean, um, yeah. So they're they're a mess, and this helps the Orioles because you know that's probably worth a win or two in these two sets that they might not have gotten. Otherwise, their, their chances are a lot better on paper in the remaining six games against the Red Sox than they were with right. them having Gonzalez. Like the, the Red Sox scored eight runs the day of the trade. Yeah. Without Adrian Gonzalez. So anything can happen. So who knows? That's, uh, that's a, a definite plus. Yeah. Uh, on, the, on the negative side, not that we're going to talk about the offseason or 2013 or whatever, but it does give the Red Sox a lot of money to spend. Yeah, so we'll see what they do with it. I don't know. And uh, Andrew and I are about to take another little break. We will be back on the other side of it to break down the upcoming series against the Chicago White Sox. We'll be back. 
listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you want to hear more from us between episodes, you should also make sure to check out the website, camdenchat.com, where you'll find discussion on all the latest Orioles happenings and sometimes just random whatever is going on. Check out our Facebook page and give us a like. It's facebook.com slash chat. And you can subscribe to this podcast if you search for us on iTunes with Camden Cast. And now, back to the show. And just like that, we're back. Andrew and I are both feeling nice and refreshed now. It was 30 seconds to you, but it was several minutes for us. And now we're here to talk about the Chicago White Sox, which I was uh, laboring under the mistaken illusion that the Orioles were only playing three games against the White Sox. Andrew has just just now corrected me and let me know it's actually four. So it's a very good thing we hashed that out before uh, before I actually hit the record button here. So the Orioles are about to play four games in Baltimore against the Chicago White Sox. And the first of those games will feature a pitching matchup of Francisco Liriano versus Wei Chen, And it's one of many where, well, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with that, that matchup. Is it, does it favor the Orioles on paper or not? Probably not. Uh, yes. We'll go with yes. We'll go with yes? Cause I, cause because I... There, well, there's two things. It's, at, it's in Baltimore. It isn't. So, so you take two equal teams. One's at home. They're going to be favored. Um, and Chen is their best pitcher. Liriano is not the White Sox best pitcher. I think that's how that works, yeah. right? Although I thought I had been reading that uh, Liriano had enjoyed some modest success since getting. Yes, he has been pretty good for the White Sox. Starting now over ten for nine as a member of the Chicago baseball team. So that's pretty good um, for sure. Yeah, and the, there is this minor problem of Wei Yin Chen being a fly ball pitcher, like most of the Orioles starters, yeah. and the White Sox lineup being uh, rather home run prone, I guess. Is a, lot of, a lot of great hitters, and we'll be talking about them a little bit later. Now, Andrew, so we, we like the first game, and that's good, because the Orioles can continue their winning streak. Maybe. Well, you, you like any game that Chen is pitching. Yeah. I'm wearing um, his t-shirt right now. Although I won't be wearing it as you're listening to this, but as I'm saying that, I'm wearing it. Like, right. You don't know. I don't plan to be wearing his T-shirt again tomorrow. Let's put That's, it that way. I will wear his T-shirt tomorrow. Okay. It'll be like a baton uh, handoff. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So so the Tuesday matchup, and here's where it starts getting a little bit uh, not as in the world's favor. Because that's going to be possible Cy Young contender Chris Sale versus Chris Tillman. So the, uh, the battle of the Chris's, if you will. And, uh-huh. well... Sale is doing pretty awesome, and uh, Tillman, I I have still not really any concept of what to expect from him, but I just never have a good feeling. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I can just keep saying the same thing over and over again. The White Sox lineup is it's better than most of the lineups Chris Tillman has, has seen so far. And you want to you want to talk about that lineup, Andrew? And there's yeah. there's just so many guys on there where you look at it and it's like, wow, he's just having a great great season. Like, the, the probably the comeback player of the year, Adam Dunn, because he's just yeah, I would I would say that's I he's, mean 
a heavy favorite. Adam Dunn is hitting like what we wish Mark Reynolds was hitting, basically. Then you got a guy like Paul Konierko, who seems like... And I'm stealing this thought from Andrew, because he just said it when we were on the break. It seems like the Orioles uh, try to pay every time he's a free agent, and he's just like, uh, you know what, I'm just going to stay on the White Sox. Yeah, I'm good. And, <laughs> I'm good, guys. And Orioles fans really wish that a guy like Brian Roberts was aging as well as Paul Konierko, for, because, I mean, <laughs> he's he's batting over 300. He's got a high 380 on-base percentage and slugging over 500. Is he's 35, Paul, 36. Is Paul Konierko uh, the most underrated first baseman of our time? That's a possibility. Because he just isn't flashy at all. You would never, ever, ever say who's the best first baseman. Who's like your top three? Paul Canerco just is not coming up in that conversation. Yeah, you might call him a compiler. If no, he's about. like every year, solid numbers, pretty good. You know, still got the power, gets on base. I mean, he's just you know, Dude, he's a World Series champion. Doing pretty well for the. Whatever they would call them, the uh, the Southsiders, I guess we would say. I always get that mixed up. Well, you know, Andrew, you can remember if you think of the SB Nation blog for the White Sox, which is the Southside Sox, and they got that alliteration going on. Oh, that's nice. I'm going to remember that. Which I like that because usually before they play the Orioles, they have a writer who will do a heavily spiced with the Wire references series preview, which, uh, as as all of you know. I, I always enjoy a good reference of the wire. Do you think that's happening right now? He could he could be writing it as we speak. So maybe nice. if you go on the site, uh, it will be there. Nice. Maybe. I don't want to get anybody's hopes up because it might not be, but it it could be worth checking out. So that's our that's our compatriots in the, the south side of Chicago. And of course, on that team, they also have Alex Rios, who they picked up off the expensive scrap heap because that was a straight up. Uh, the Blue Jays dumped that salary on them, and he's rebounded. Like, he's hitting over 300, like Adam Jones wishes he could do. And on basing about 333, I think, and slugging over 500. And, of course, they also picked up Kevin Euclid from the uh, the disgruntled clubhouse and in Boston. And he's on the dollar. Turns out he's changed scenery, gotten out from under the... Uh, the iron fist of Bobby Valentine, perhaps, and uh, he's he's revitalized. He's he's doing great over there. I mean, not you know MVP type numbers, but above average baseball player numbers, the likes that the Orioles would like to have from their pre Manny Machado third baseman in a big way. Yeah. Um. Th- this is a good lineup. And I know Chris Tillman just had a, a pretty good game against a pretty good Texas lineup also. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's he's an So, he he's, he's capable, he sure. But, but I, uh, I like, the, Sale, I like the White Sox versus Tillman better than I like the Orioles yeah, versus obviously. Sale. Sure. So, Sale probably won't win the Cy Young by dint of... He's not throwing as many innings as guys on the tier of Justin Verlander and Jared Weaver, who also have pretty low ERAs, but... Yeah. He's uh he's he's pitching pretty great. In the it's hard, two, hard to complain about 2.6 ish ERA range, I think. And uh, um he does 
he he has a, an odd arm slot, I guess, for a starter. But it works for him because righties can't hit him, lefties can't hit him. So I guess the, the knock on sale always was that uh, people didn't think he would last. He's a, he's a big injury risk. Yeah. Um, that, the, that's not really something that you can really bank with the Orioles playing them this week. In one game, right. Right. Uh, so, you know, they just, they have to hope that Tillman can, can duel with them and keep the game low scoring because if it's low scoring, it's probably close. And if it's close, the Orioles do really well. And, and there will be a reason for that. The Orioles bullpen is, is better than the White Sox bullpen. That's just just the case well they're better than everybody but a small hand many they're better than many bullpens indeed if you can get the game uh to the sixth inning hand it off to the bullpens you gotta feel pretty good yeah. about about the way so, things are going. can tillman get it to the sixth inning will be the question and i mean we won't know till tuesday and sure. whatever chris tillman takes them out we'll find out the wednesday matchup also not so good that's going to be Jake Peavy facing Joe Saunders, and uh, well, I mean, I mean, who knows? Now, Jake, Jake Peavy, you may, if you don't pay serious attention to the White Sox, which I don't, um, but I looked at his numbers, and of course, he he had some struggles after he was traded to the White Sox from the Padres. Well, he had but, all sorts of like shoulder yeah. problems, injury issues. Then it took him yeah. a while to settle down. But this year, he's a workhorse, eating the innings. And unlike anybody who's been talked about as an innings eater on the Orioles for probably a decade, he also has you know great results. And he's got I think a 3.09 ERA on the year. Jake Peavy does uh, striking out a, a respectable number of guys, mm-hmm. and more strikeouts than hits allowed. That's all, always that's, a good that's sign. That's pretty good. Yeah. So you know, there's there's Jake Peavy, and on the other hand, uh, Joe Saunders. Almost looks like four and a half times as many strikeouts as walks. Yeah, he's had he's having a really good season. That's a pretty good pretty good number there. Um. Really, kind of the first time since he's been in Chicago that he's looked like the Jake Peavy who was in San Diego. And well, the uh, the White Sox need that because they're battling for the division lead. They're in the division lead. They're uh, they're yeah. ahead of the the Tigers. They, they have maintained a, a slim but but solid lead over the the Tigers for quite a while now. Yeah, and. Yeah. They're they're going to be looking to keep that going because you know they don't want to be dipping down into the one game playoff. They got stuff to play for. They got stakes, just like the yeah. Orioles do in this series. It'll be. Uh, this is actually one of the things about the rest of the Orioles schedule. Um, the Red Sox now you can sort of throw off, and the Blue Jays you can throw off. And then I think there's a three game set with the Mariners, but everybody else is going to have stuff they're playing for that they're not just going to put in their scrubs. For the Orioles to beat up on. And of course, you can never discount that they might relish playing spoilers against the Orioles the way sure. the Orioles right. did against the Red Sox last year. But, you know, there's a big difference between uh, the the Yankees' A lineup with Granderson and Cano and, and Teixeira and A-Rod when he gets healthy. Right. And 
their B lineup that they put out because they have a 10-game lead and, and want to rest their guys and line up for the postseason yeah. with Jason Nix. And, and which, which the Yankees cannot do, by the way, because they're, what, three games up on the race? Yeah, so, right. They need to keep playing you know, hard. They're... These games matter to the Yankees. They matter to the White Sox. They matter to most of the teams the Orioles are going to be playing from here on out. So, you know, this is, uh, this is an important series for, for everyone involved. It's, it is, and yeah. and the last of the four games, we'll have Jose Quintana, who I will admit to you I had not any re- any thought or recollection of before I looked at his stats uh, for this podcast, and he'll be facing. Now this is not a hundred percent sure, but the the speculation I read is that it would be Zach Britton, because they were saying that uh, since Miguel Gonzalez has already pitched out of the bullpen. That might make him a better candidate to return to the bullpen. I don't know that that makes any sense to me, but that's what I read on the Baltimore Sun website. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, everybody loves a lefty, and Zach Britton is a lefty. I guess that's true. Um, I don't know, Zach Britton. I don't know. I don't know about him. No. No. I have no. Even even the past two games he's thrown really well at the end of it. Like, you look back and it's like, oh, that's a good game. Like, um, the guy rewatched the first inning of his start two starts ago recently, and that looks really shaky. Like, that looks like it could have gone really poorly really quickly. Could have been a disaster. Right. And, you know, one seeing eye ground ball is sort of the difference between teetering on the edge of a knife and and falling off the edge. Yeah. So, gosh, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, and it's, it's impossible to try and figure out what's going to happen in one game anyway. But it, you know, it just, uh, it's a, it, the Orioles have an inconsistent young starter, and the White Sox right. have a young starter who's, uh, well, I assume he's young. I didn't actually look at his age, but he's, uh, he's getting some great results so far this year. We can say. He's 23 years old. Yeah, so there you go. And that's uh, that's the White Sox. So, I don't know, Andrew, I mean, we got to hope I mean, for a split there. Is, yeah, right. All these all we four can hope for. sets, you, you hope for a split because it's it's kind of nuts. Like, the White Sox are one of the teams that I have no doubt whatsoever are better than the Orioles overall, um, even accounting for the, like, uh, Orioles out like outplaying just the sum of their parts shenanigans right. that are happening. Um, there's just no doubt that the White Sox are are better than the the, the Orioles. Um, so it's tough. It's in Baltimore, which helps, but the pitching matchups really are a tough draw. The scales so. are not exactly in the Orioles' favor, uh, it in my estimation. So. I mean, but, but then, but then again, Andrew, how many games have the Orioles won this year where the scales were not in their favor? So I mean, true. I mean, uh, you know, they went to Detroit. They took that series. All, all we can do is watch and cross our fingers, and somehow they're delivering more often than not. But that doesn't mean they'll keep doing it in this series. Uh, but fingers crossed. Well, uh, so I was looking at like their remaining schedule before the Blue Jays series that was abbreviated. And uh, they have these two four-game sets, one with Chicago and one with New York. Um, and 
I believe they are both in Baltimore. Yes. Um, so you hope, because the Yankees are another team, that I just, you can't convince me that the Orioles are better than the Yankees. The Yankees have a better record. They have better components. They're just a better team. Um, I, I have to deal with that every day of my life, unfortunately. Uh, we all do, Andrew. We all have to yeah. deal with it in our own ways. So uh, you hope to split both of those those series. And then they have now nine other series. Um, they have a four-game set with the Blue Jays now, including a doubleheader towards the end of September. And they are tied for a wildcard spot, so they need to win at least six of these series. And they need to, to split at least with the Blue Jays now in that four-game set, too. So that's, yeah, that is a tough tough draw like they gotta play basically as if they're in the playoffs for a month straight just to get into the playoffs. just to get a one game that currently looks like it could be in the trop against david price yeah i mean uh it is it's not certain that the rays are going to be in that game or be the home team in that game but that is where the smart money is um because I mean, heck, Andrew, it could be in Yankee Stadium against CC Sabathia. It, it could. That is a terrifying idea right there. And also kind of wonderful. Man, that would be... That, that's got a lot of good potential right there. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's where the Orioles are going. And like you said, a, a month and a half of playing... Just, every night is, I don't want to say must win, because they're not like out of it if they lose on a given night, but they need right. to win. There's still one night, or even one series, that's do or die. They need to win just as many games as they can, because they got to win more than the race, and more than one, more than the Tigers, and you know a handful more than the Angels. If they you know want to hope to catch the Rays uh, and host the one-game playoff... Or if the Yankees falter and get into that division picture, then they got to win, you know, more and more. It's fun they just got to win. Underdog, and it's fun to root for the underdog. But it's also just—it's so stressful to look at the the remaining schedule and be like, "Wow!" Every night we tune into a game, Every we're going to look at it and say the Orioles have to win tonight. Yeah, and and it's it, it's not literally true, but it, it is basically true. Yeah. That every night is an important game for them. Every game they lose, they have to make up at some point. And and hope that the team that they're chasing and, loses on that night. Also, it started this past weekend. It started the weekend before that. It it continues. It starts this week. It's a tough draw, but this is how it is. Every game, if they're if they're going to the playoffs, if they're going to win in the playoffs. They're constantly going to be getting tough draws. Andrew, we had all forgotten how stressful it is to be a fan of a good baseball team, apparently. Well, well a team with getting good results. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the difference. For me, at least, like, I don't remember the 97 season very well. No, I definitely was not anything close to every right. day. It was, they, were such, they were a better team component-wise. Wire to wire. They were dominant. So that, like they were in control. Yeah. The, this Orioles team has played really well, but they're not in control. Yeah, they yet. aren't in the in the driver's seat. I mean, give it a week, things can change. The Orioles are like 
on a bungee cord on a skateboard <laughs> holding on as the car goes through town uh, and four elephants or or whatever and you know every now and again they're just like popping up and doing an ollie or something and you just think they're going to fall and split their skulls open and they just land and keep rolling that's that's the Orioles I just hope they're wearing a helmet yeah I hope they are too but we can't be too sure about these things so it's going to be a good week. It's going to be fun. Um, this is a legit playoff team that if the Orioles are going to go anywhere, they're probably going to see the White Sox again. So yeah, there's I mean there's stakes for both teams. High stakes. This is yeah. I mean this is this is what we've we've dreamed of for 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 14 years, and right. it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way and. I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way. And maybe we'll keep going farther from this. We hope. So, Andrew, as we as we wind into our little final thoughts a little bit here, uh, this past weekend was the Orioles Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And, of course, uh, your favorite ever, Mike Mussina, was among those inducted. So, I, Andrew, did you watch his, uh, his speech or listen to his uh, when he was on the mass and broadcast in whatever inning it was? No, I Well, he gave a very, uh, very abru- abbreviated. I I saw like one quote and I thought it was hysterical. It was like I was here and I did good. I did what I was supposed to. And yeah, on I... on the Mass and broadcast, he said of he was basically summed up his career and he said I was here and I did what I was supposed to do and then I went there to New York and I did what I was supposed to do. It was a nice career, and that was, was nice and that was like in response to a question about whether he wanted to uh, ever come back to the game as like a coach or a manager or something. And he was basically like, "Man, I'm retired, and I love it." And you know, he's done all he wants to do with baseball, and that's that. Now he gets to live out in Montoursville, driving tractors or whatever. Doing whatever he wants, man. Um, I sometimes drive through Montoursville, and I think of him, and I hope he thinks of me. Well, um, he, he probably does not. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be a bit of a shock if you did, Andrew. But uh, so, so one of the things I wanted to take away from that is clearly uh, there was a little olive branch extended that the Orioles did that induction and that he came back. But he he also mm-hmm. said that was his first time back in Baltimore since he had retired, and. Uh, he wasn't exactly overflowing with warmth for the Orioles organization. Well, so, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, obviously it's unfortunate, everything that happened. But, you know, I saw the pictures, and that's really cool, just to see him wearing the green jacket and throwing out the first pitch. It's, it's a step, you know. The, the Orioles made a really nice gesture reaching out to all of their Hall of Fame players. Yeah. And, there, there have been a lot of things written and said about the relationship between the current Orioles and Brooks Robinson yes. also. And they've, uh, I, I feel like they've mended that fence, uh, maybe. Um, and, you know, it's dumb to compare Brooks Robinson and Mike Messina on one level, but on another level, it's totally cool, too. Mike Messina was a Hall of Fame player who spent his best years on the Orioles. Right, and so was Brooks Robinson. So, in, in that sense, it's not. I mean... You know, and my, and I, they should, you know, th- this should be a much better relationship the Orioles have with their retired players and and their Hall of Famers in general. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I have in the past pondered how much players like associating with and being, quote, a Yankee, unquote, um, and how much of that has to do with just how well they treat their the relationship they have with their former players. Yeah. And I don't have any, like, specifics that I can call upon um, outside of they do an annual old-timers day game uh, where they invite everybody back. And Mike Messina has been back for that. He threw out um, a first pitch for them, like, what was sure. opening day this year? Yes. Or, or was it last, last year? One, one of these years. I, I believe it was last year. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an important part. Yeah. I mean, Mike Messina is super important to me. Uh, if you out there hate Mike Messina and can't get past that he left the Orioles for the Yankees, that's cool. That That is cool in the gang. But he, he is so important to me as a baseball fan that it literally did me harm and made me dislike the Orioles every time that they would not invite him back in and just try to like reach out and, and do this olive branch. And my takeaway from his uh, not exactly sentimental speech, and maybe I'm reading way too much into it, is just basically if the Orioles would like for Mucina's preference, if he should make it into the Hall of Fame, which is a separate question, and I, I, I think he should, but I don't have full confidence that the voting electorate of the Baseball Writers Association of America will agree. If the Orioles care whether he wears an Orioles cap or a Yankees cap, I think they need to do a little more uh, booty kissing of Mike Messina. Well, they should anyway. They, they should. should. The, the Hall of Fame should not be a part of that process. No. They should, they should just treat all of their ex-players better. I mean, some of them, they, like obviously Mike Bordick's gotten a pretty nice reception from them. Brady and Anderson? Donald and Brady Anderson, and, and they're Hall of Famers, certainly. But, like, I don't know. <laughs> what about Mike Messina? What about, like, like what's Miguel Tejada going to think about the Orioles? Or what, is, what is Sidney Ponson going to think about the Orioles, well, Andrew? I mean, we can probably make an exception for Sidney Melvin Mora was a good name, though. I It would be interesting to know that. Because obviously he kind of left on bad terms either. And well, Melvin Mora definitely not going in Cooperstown, but definitely should be in Orioles Hall of Fame. What does Scott Erickson think about the Orioles? Nobody's even asking that question. What does Scott Erickson think about anything? Is, is Scott Erickson even still alive? I don't know. Or like Harold Baines. Where's Harold Baines? Isn't he a coach for the White Sox? Look, see him. I don't. I don't need your sass right now. <laughs> we'll see him tomorrow. He'll be in the first base coaching box if I remember right. You know, just it's it's cool, and I, I hope they can figure out something. I don't even know what 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 I want from them. Just something, something with Mucina. They 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 need to do more to to bring him back into the fold, and uh, hopefully they will do it. And that's that's the that's the big point. And. Uh, yeah. Just that's what I was thinking about when I saw that stuff, and they they just need to do more, and I hope they do it. Whatever, you know, if there's something personal with the Angelos family and Mucina, I hope the Angelos side just buries the hatchet, swallows their pride, and well, sticks was, their hand. Like uh, Davy Johnson obviously left on extremely bad terms, 
but as far as I know, like that, that bridge was mended pretty well. Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, like he's you know, I mean right. he wouldn't come back and work for the Orioles probably, but he's not no, not I cursing them with every breath I would say. And like he's a really really important part of of Oriole mythology, just like Mike Piscina. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they just shouldn't have guys leave on super bad terms from now on. Maybe they can avoid that. Although, uh, although Dan Ducat uh, doesn't seem like the guy to count on for that. Mm. So, man, how did we end up ending on a depressing note? I'm, I'm very disappointed in us there. Let's, uh, let's think of something cheerful to go out on here real fast. Can we think of something? Oh, man. Uh... <laughs> uh, wow, that's well. well. I, uh, the, the other thing I I guess I wanted to mention is not baseball related, but um, over the weekend Neil Armstrong died, which is also depressing yeah. in one way, but in another way, you know, um, you can go outside right now if it's nighttime and it's not cloudy, and you can look at the moon. And you, you can remember that, like, we went there, man. Like, that happened. Andrew, I, the official statement from the Armstrong family, I believe, said if you ever want to remember Neil, just go out and look at the moon and think of him and wink. And that was, that was what the Armstrong family said. We are so capable of just the most amazing things. And then it, you got the curiosity right, driving around, around on Mars, sending back pictures. Like it's pretty cool. Man, like people this this is great. Like I'm I am not doing justice to how I feel. But you know, Andrew, you've brought the most cheerful thing back. Cause just think about the awesome stuff human beings can do. And not that we always do awesome stuff, but just the capability that's there to be awesome. And uh, like uh, an, an old man who just died walked on the moon. He went there. He was there. His footprints are still there, I think. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How, I don't know if it's windy on the moon. Maybe they they blew away. I don't think there's any wind on the moon. I'm going to uh, I'm going to guess that one. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So there there we go. We didn't end on a depressing note after all. So go look at the moon and think of Neil Armstrong tonight. You go look at the go moon. Go look at the moon. You don't have to howl or anything. Hopefully you won't turn into a werewolf. But man. go O's. Go Orioles. Speaking of infinite potential for good things it could be now, i have been told that i say the word orioles oddly is this true uh I, would it I be don't... better if i say go o's or go go well, if you want to sound like a real baldy moron you got to say go orioles one but <laughs> i don't think i have that or danny camden yards no well danny ocean yeah so, okay, now we're, now we're getting a little too silly. It is time to wrap oh, it up. Go so, O's. So go O's, however, however you want to say O's. They should, we they are should capable of the greatest things. The, the Orioles potentially the could win the American Orioles. League East. It's not mathematically impossible. And how, I mean, we haven't even been able to say that on August the 26th in the last 14 years either. So it's pretty cool. But that's all we have for tonight. So for my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown, and we are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.